Good morning, church. It is a joy to be together this morning. But in case you missed any of our uh, sermons for the last six weeks, uh, last week it was, as, uh, as Rafa said, it was our celebration Sunday. So we took a break from our Sermon on the Mount uh, preaching series. Uh, we are in part five of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And what this is, is basically Jesus' most famous teaching uh, that summarizes uh, what his message is to a broken world. In 2005, a book was published. Uh, It was called Speeches That Changed the World. And so you can imagine of the 40 speeches, uh, you had anything from Hitler to Mandela, so just about everything, the good and the bad, 40 speeches. And guess what was speech number one? Um, Jesus Christ's Sermon on the Mount, an extract from there. And I think what I found interesting with this is that the book is not necessarily a Christian book, um, but it highlights what I think is quite important, uh, that this sermon is indeed life-changing, because this sermon, uh, in it, Jesus shares the heart of God for the world and the plan of God to transform our world. How does God transform our world? Well, we've seen so far in the Sermon on the Mount uh, that God transforms the world by taking ordinary people uh, like you and I. Well, some of us are more ordinary. Um, Raphael, <coughs> um, ordinary people like you and I, he transforms them from the inside out, and then he launches them into the world to become agents of change in that world. Uh, so with um, that is Jesus's. Uh, or rather God's plan for our world, we saw that God calls us, those who have taken a step of faith, who trust in the Lord Jesus, to become salt and light. Uh, so to become agents of change and transformation in a decaying society. We saw that Jesus calls those who follow him to have such a, an extreme righteousness, a righteousness that surpasses those that of uh, the Pharisees. So that was part five of our sermon series. A righteousness that comes from the inside out, uh, inside out living, because that is how God transforms the world. So with every single law that we read here, every single thing that Jesus calls us to, or rather God calls us to, um, is a call to live our lives in a broken world from the inside out. Uh, The God of the Christian story takes ordinary people and transforms them from the inside out, and he uses them as agents of change and transformation. And so this morning, I hope that you'll have that in your mind as we consider the topic that Jesus addresses today, which is the topic of how we use our words, how our words match up with our actions. That is um, the sermon for today, I'm going to pray that God will help us as we get into his word. So please bow your heads as I lead us in prayer. Lord, we thank you so much for your son, Jesus. We thank you that he came into this world, lived a life that we could not live, died a death that we deserve, so that we can be accepted by you. And this morning, we, are, we will celebrate that even as we partake of the Lord's Supper. But please help us to just see how how this truth transforms us in our everyday life. 
Uh, so please aid us um, by your Holy Spirit. Uh, please aid me as we unpack this passage. Through Christ our Lord, we ask. Amen. Words are powerful, aren't they? Uh, words, I would even go as far as to say that words form the foundation of a flourishing society. Uh, words are at the heart of any flourishing relationship. Uh, words can make or break relationships. Uh, many of us know that and are quite um, aware of, um, of that. And that's why God cares about how we use our words. In the Old Testament, how Israel used their words as they related to one another. In the New Testament, how God establishes a kingdom of a new people who are transformed from the inside out and are transformed to use their words in a way that shapes a human society. So that's what our passage is really um, about. Our passage is God caring about a human uh, human flourishing, particularly how we use our words, particularly how we bridge the gap between words and action. So the things that we say and the things that uh, we do. Uh, Jesus wants that gap to be closed down. What we say ought to match up with um, how we live out, what we, what we do. Um, he addresses particularly the issue of oath-taking. Uh, so making promises, making promises that I will do such and such a thing. And I think the key verse for us is verse 37. I hope you um, have your Bibles open there. Verse 37, uh, Jesus uh, brings to us the key kingdom teaching when it comes to words. This is what he says in the first part of verse 37. Let what you say be simply yes or no, anything more than that is evil. Let what you say simply be yes or no. I don't know if you've uh, ever encountered those words. Perhaps you've said them to somebody who didn't fulfill their ways. Those are quite famous words. And essentially what Jesus is saying in verse 37 is that the kind of righteousness that he's calling for, uh, for his disciples, is to have such integrity that it is unnecessary to take oaths. Um, to have such integrity in what we say we will do, that it is, it is unnecessary to say, I swear by such and such a thing, I'm going to fulfill this. Um, to have such integrity there's the, that there's no need to grapple uh, behind what it means to take an oath, what makes an oath binding. He wants none of that. Uh, he wants his disciples to be people of integrity. Now, that's a very interesting word, isn't it? Integrity. What do we mean by that? Um, integrity simply means wholeness. Integrity means simply that there's no gap between what we say and what we do, uh, that those two things are one. Of course, we don't live in a world where we take oaths. Um, or I did grow up in a culture where um, people take oath and they say, I swear by my mother's grave, I will do such and such a thing. That was the highest thing um, to swear by. But in our culture, we don't have that. We live in Midrand. We don't take oaths. Uh, the closest thing we do is uh, sign contracts. Um, that's why um, if you were to walk into any Vodacom shop and you wanted uh, to get a phone from them, 
let's say, that expensive iPhone 14. Uh, I could have just said an iPhone 14, uh, but I need to say that expensive iPhone 14. Let's say you walk into um, Vodacom. If you want that phone, uh, you will have to sign a contract. Uh, And a contract is something that legally binds you to bridge that gap between what you say you will do and what you end up doing. Because if you don't fulfill it, there will be legal consequences um, to, to your words. Essentially what you're saying when you sign that 24 months contract or now 36 months contract because they know we can't afford it. Um, you're saying I'm committing myself, this is your word, for the next 36 months to pay off this phone. Now, let's imagine for a moment, this is an impossible thing. It will never happen, especially in Midrand. But imagine uh, a perfect world out there uh, where you would walk into Vora World. Uh, Let's say it's on a Thursday afternoon. Uh, You've been working from home and you're frustrated. Your laptop is freezing. Your phone is freezing. You want some retail therapy to just um, rejuvenate you. So you walk into Vora World and you eye that iPhone 14, and you tell them, that's the one I want. And then you take the phone, and without a proof of, any proof of residence, any ID copies, any verification uh, with the credit bureau, none of that, um, without any proof of income that you can actually pay, you just walk off with that phone. Can you imagine that world? Imagine a world where, let's say, you are, um, you've made it in life, uh, you have five million rand to spare, and you go into uh, one of these estates and you buy a piece of land and you want to develop this land and you contact your contractor and then you give them, you buy the piece of land, you give them the millions of your money and you sign no contract. Um, imagine a world where you trusted, we trusted each other so much that you can just shake someone's hand and know that they will fulfill on what they said they will do. Now, we cannot imagine that world, isn't it? Because it doesn't exist. Because we know that we live in a world where, in a culture where there is no integrity, that very often there's a gap between what we say and what we end up doing. Uh, We are not creatures. Human beings are not creatures of integrity. We often break promises. Um, and we often are hurt by those who break their promises towards us. So much so that the only thing we can trust, the only, only person we can trust to keep to their promises is ESCOM. <laughs> <laughs> your load-shedding app, if they give you their word and say at 10 o'clock your power will go off, it might go off at... Six minutes past ten, which is the case at my uh, complex. Normally, you think, man, hey, I hope they don't keep their words. Um, five minutes hits, and you're like, maybe we moved to stage one. Uh, but lo and behold, they always keep to their words. It always um, goes off. They never disappoint. But as for the rest of us, we don't do that. Um, we wiggle our way out of our commitments. We cushion our words um, that we said before. If you made a commitment to do something and for some reason you cannot fulfill it, we wiggle our way out of it by cushioning it with words. 
That is not what I meant. Um, surely you didn't take me seriously. Uh, you shouldn't take some of the things I say seriously. I was joking when I said such and such a thing. Um, that's, you made a commitment. Your yes is not a yes. Your no is not a no. You're wiggling your way out of that um, commitment. And so that's the world we live in. And that's not just the world we live in, but that is the world that Jesus speaks into, a world where people do not want to keep to their promises. And the law was meant to promote that. The law was meant to promote uh, for people to be people of their word. Um, but needless to say, uh, people found loopholes and different ways to move out of what they had promised to do. And so this morning, what we're going to see is that Jesus goes to the heart of what makes us prone to not keeping to our promises. He goes to the heart of what makes us, when we haven't kept to our promises, to not come and say, yes, I did say that. Forgive me for not fulfilling my promises. One of the things that we're going to see, and it, it, it applies to every law that he looks into uh, from, um, from Matthew chapter 5, is that the more we value, and this is what the Pharisees were doing, they were valuing people's opinion and their appearances before people than they valued God's opinion of them. Uh, so their life, uh, their obedience or attitude towards the law was that of showing off uh, their pious behavior. Rather than trusting God's opinion, they trusted the opinions of those around them. And so what we're going to see is when it comes to law obedience, the more you value people's opinions of you, the more you will devalue God's law in your life. The more you value God's uh, other people's opinion of you, the more you will devalue the law of God in your life. And when it comes to words, the more you value people's, people's opinions of you, the more you will devalue the things you say you'll do. And that is the summary for us as we look at this passage, um, because it is at the heart of it addressing hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is putting up a front and a performance before people. And when we do that, we, the law becomes a tool to make us look good before other people. So we will approach our passage in two ways. And we're going to jump around to look at um, other passages that help us to understand our passage. Number one, we're going to see what happens when people's opinion become the thing that we value. And then secondly, we're going to see what happens when the gospel changes us and God's opinion becomes the thing that we value the most. One, what happens to us when we value people's opinion? Well, have a look at chapter 5, verse 33. Jesus, in verse 33, presents to us the original law, as it was stated. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sown. That is the original law, and very often you see this pattern in the last um, 
laws that Jesus mentioned on the law on murder, you have heard it say, thou shalt not kill. That is the original law. Um, but I tell you, he goes to the heart of that law, uh, that it's actually about anger. It's actually about something deep within us. And then he calls us um, to address by the gospel, through the power of the gospel, our anger, instead of focusing on the outward law of murder. The same thing that we saw with uh, the law on lust and divorce, that very often the Pharisees were interested in uh, law-keeping, but not really. They wanted to still appear like they were law-keepers because they cared about the opinions of other people. Meanwhile, they created more laws to wiggle their way out of God's, God's law. So the pattern, very often, he stays the law, he goes to the heart of it, and tells us how to live as kingdom-centered people. In verse 33, he stays the law, as it was intended in the Old Testament, and the law says that you ought to perform what you swear, that your word has to match up with your action. Now let's have a look at where that law came from. Uh, Let's turn over, if you have your Bible, to Leviticus chapter 19, verse 12. Leviticus is in the Old Testament, Leviticus is the book that tells us about how God wants to govern his society, um, his group of people that is rescued from Egypt into the promised land, that as they step into that land, this is how they ought to live. This is how they ought, they can flourish in the land that God uh, has given them. Leviticus says this about oath-making. You shall not swear by my name falsely, and so profane the name of the Lord your God. I am the Lord. Uh, in the Old Testament, if people wanted to um, give you a promise, they didn't have contracts to sign necessarily, but the highest thing you could swear by was the Lord your God. The Lord your God. So you would use the Lord, I swear, in God's name, I will do this. And so the law says, please make sure that when you do that, you follow through on what you say. Another part, um, another book, um, Deuteronomy chapter 23. Um, This is, again, God's law to his people as they are just on the verge of entering the promised land. He reminds them of how they ought to govern themselves in this land that they are about to go into. Deuteronomy 23 Verse 21, if you make a vow to the Lord your God, do not be slow to keep it, because he will surely require it of you, and you will be guilty of sin. But if you refrain from making a vow, you will not be guilty of sin. Verse 23, be careful to follow through on what comes from your lips, because you have freely vowed to the Lord your, vowed to the Lord your God, with your own mouth. At the heart of this law, at the heart of what God is trying to do with his people, is to make sure that they are people of integrity, uh, people who do as they say, people whose yes is yes and whose no is no. And God reminds them that their integrity, especially because they swear by his name, their integrity is tied up with his his uh, reputation. So it matters 
that they fulfill what they say they will do. But the point we're trying to see here is what is at the heart of this law? Well, at the heart of it is that you ought to be people of integrity. What did the Pharisees in Jesus' day, what did the rabbis do with this law? Well, let's flip over to Matthew chapter 5, verse 34 uh, to 36. It's going to be a bit confusing for us because we don't understand fully the context of what was happening, but it's going to become clearer as we go on and read it. But I say to you, you've heard it said, um, that you shall, shall perform your oath, but I say to you, do not take an oath at all. Now that sounds bizarre, doesn't it? Uh, because it almost seems like Jesus is cancelling out the law, uh, which is opposite to what he said before in verses 17 uh, to 20, that I've come to fulfill the law. Uh, it, it almost seems like, well, he is saying to not make oaths at all. But I say to you, do not make, take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath on your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. In the case of Redden, uh, thousand, uh, thousand, thousands of his hair, uh, he cannot make it uh, white. Uh, apparently, he's turned more gray since he's taken over as rector. Um, but what Jesus is saying here is that you cannot make, uh, you cannot um, uh, change your hair color. Uh, if you swear by heaven, that is where the throne of God is. If you swear by earth, it doesn't matter what you swear by. All of those things belong um, to God. We'll find out just why he said what he said, because the context is far removed from us. Matthew 23 gives us a, 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 a bit of a clue as to what was happening at that time. So turn over to Matthew 23, because it unpacks more and more what is happening here. Matthew 23, we're doing a lot of jumping around. It is to add clarity to what Jesus is actually asking of us. Matthew 23, verse 16 to 22, woe to you. So this is Jesus speaking to uh, the religious people of his day. He's speaking to them about their facade that they, um, that they so love, and he's challenging them. And I think that's the, one of the um, things that you will discover that is shocking about Jesus, that when he steps into the scene, he doesn't talk to those people, you know, those people who are sinners, who are broken, who cheat on their taxes, who cheat on their girlfriends, who cheat on their wives, uh, who are murderers. No, if Jesus stayed in Midrand, uh, he would be staying by uh, ninth on Lever. Uh, he would drive a Nissan NP500 um, as part of his dad's business. And one of the things that would shock us about him would be how he deals with people who are religious, people who look pious in front of people. And this, is, this section is addressing those people. And it's shocking what he says to them because these are very respectable people who on the surface they look like they are law obedient. Listen to what he says to them. What to you blind guys who say, if anyone swears by the temple, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he is bound by his oath. 
Still confusing? Yes, I know. Um, what was happening there is that this Pharisees noticed that if we continue swearing by the name of the Lord, we might um, bring it to shame. Uh, so what we're going to do is we're going to use holy things instead. So instead of swearing by the name of the Lord, you swear by the temple. But notice what was happening here. Um, notice what was happening. There was arguments as to what made oaths binding. So if I swear by the temple, does my oath hold? If I swear by something more valuable, the gold of the temple, then my oaths, uh, oath uh, holds. Verse 17, you blind fools, which is greater, the gold of the temple that was made that has made the gold sacred. And you say, if anyone says by the altar, it is nothing. If any loopholes in the law to wiggle their way out of it, but if anyone swears by the gift that is on the altar, he's bound by the oath. You blind men, for which is greater the gift on the altar that makes the gift sacred? Verse 20, so whoever swears by the altar swears by it and by everything on it. And whoever swears by the temple swears by it and by him who dwells in it. It doesn't matter what it is that you swear by. What matters is that everything that you swear by is holy. And in any case, it shouldn't matter for God's people um, what, what makes an oath legitimate. If you say that you're going to do something... It doesn't matter what you saw by. And so what was happening is that these Pharisees trusted and loved the opinions of people and wiggled their ways and found loopholes to make the law make them look good. Isn't that what we do? If you care about people's opinion, the law will become a tool for you to look good. But if you care about what God cares about, you will want to uphold the law. If you care about what God cares about, you wouldn't try to find your way out of the things that you said you'll do. You wouldn't be wiggling your way like the Pharisees uh, were were doing. Notice um, Jesus goes again deeper into their hearts. In verse 25, he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Why is he saying that? For you clean the outside of the cup, you look like you are low obedient on the outside, but inside of you is filled with greed. Inside of you is filled with this attitude that you don't want to fulfill your word. That is why you are finding more laws and making up more laws um, to wiggle your way out of keeping to your promises. Verse 27, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which appear, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanliness. Verse 28 is key. For you, you also outwardly appear righteous to others. I'm a law-abiding citizens. I saw by the gold of the temple. But within you, you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. That is the key to understanding uh, this passage, isn't it? That inside, at the heart of why they created more laws, was actually lawlessness. Uh, at the heart of creating more laws was to still keep up appearances. And that is hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is putting up a mask and becoming an actor. 
so that when people look at you, they look, it looks like you are law obedient, but truly on the inside of you, um, you are full of dead people's bones. Hypocrisy at the heart of it is a distorted relationship with God. Uh, it is looking to people to give to you the validation that only God can give you. And once you operate on people's opinions, the law is going to be diminished. It is going to lose its power. So that's what we see, um, that when we live for people's opinions, this is what we do to the law. When we live for people's opinions, uh, we are going to find loopholes to get away from what we said we will do. But there's opposite of that is true. When we value God's opinion of us, we will tend to elevate the place of the law in our lives. If the law demands integrity, we will desire that very thing that God wants for us. When we trust and value God's opinion of us, we will tend to keep our promises to fellow humans. Have a look at verse 37, which is the way of the kingdom, which is what Jesus is calling to, calling us to, his disciples. He says, forget about all those debates uh, about the law. This is where it's at. This is what the key of the law is. Let what you say be simply yes and no. Anything more than that comes from evil. So Jesus uses hyperbole. He uses hyperbole to remind these guys that it's not so much about this law. Um, he calls them to a life of integrity. He goes as far as to say that all of those things actually come from evil. All of those things come from the evil heart that you and I have, that the Pharisees had, to not keep to our words. Um, all of this comes from an evil space, not so with uh, the kingdom of God. Because the more and more we trust God's opinion of us, the better we'll be at keeping our promises. And even if we don't keep our promises, when we trust God's opinion of us, we will value the law in so much so that if we break it, we can have the courage to talk to our neighbor and say, I know I said I will do this and that, but I'm sorry I didn't fulfill that. The gospel of Jesus Christ empowers us to live out verse 37. And that is um, what Jesus would remind us um, this morning, that we are people who do not have integrity, and we need the gospel to empower us to have integrity some of us need to repent and come to realize that actually the reason why we sometimes commit to things that we cannot do is because we are people pleasers. We're just people pleasers. We care more about the opinions of people and letting them down. So your friend, one of your friends invites you to a bachelor's party and you're like, I'm going to be there. And another friend of yours on the same day says, I'm having a baby, uh, not baby shower, a, bride, a nappy bride. So if you are a people pleaser, what do you do in that situation? I often do this. I'm like, flip, I, 
I don't know, like, I have to say yes to both of them. Um, the intention is there. The intention is to want to go to both of them. At the heart of it is people pleasing. What happens when the day comes? One of them is going to lose, right? And there's going to be a gap between what I said and what I end up doing. At the heart of it is I wanted to please both of them. When I trust what the Lord Jesus did for me, when I trust that I'm accepted before God and his opinion matters to me more than the opinions of people, I'm able to say no to this guy and yes to this guy. I move away from being a people pleaser, isn't it? Do you see how this plays itself out in normal, normal everyday life? Sometimes we make promises to our children because we want them to value our opinion of us. We want them to see us as authority figures in their lives, to see that we love them. And so you overcommit yourself. You know that work is busy, but that play is coming. So you promise, I'm going to make it there. I'm going to come to your play. And lo and behold, the day comes and work, your boss needs you to be at the office at 6 o'clock and to work late. You've made the promise. If you trust um, more in the opinions of your children, what are you going to do in that? You're going to want to maintain your reputation. You're going to find ways to say, man, I didn't say I was definitely going to come. I said, God willing, (laughs) I'll make it there. And you and I know that there's been times where we've broken our promises, isn't it? Uh, Because we valued the opinions um, of others. We value the opinions of those who uh, we are friends with. We value the opinions of those who are above us. Uh, we say, we tell our superiors, I'm going to deliver on such and such a thing. And lo and behold, comes a day you cannot deliver because the work was too much. What do you do? If you value their opinions, what are they going to think of me? They're going to think that I'm incompetent. I need to come up with a story that's going to get me out of trouble. So you start living uh, with stories, cushioning your words and cushioning what you actually said you'll do. That's what happens when you live for the opinions of men. But when God transforms you and shows you that you don't have to live for that because the one who is above you, the one who is above you, his opinion of you is what truly matters. You are empowered to, at that stage, tell the truth. The gospel empowers us to tell the truth because the gospel reminds us that we don't have to have a facade when it comes to God. God sees our deepest our deepest of hearts. God sees what is inside of us. God sees the times where we make commitments and we know that we are not intending to keep those uh, commitments. But yet, God loves us still. And his opinion of us, when he looks at you and me, we don't have to impress him because he's already impressed of us. That sounds like a narcissistic thing to say, isn't it? But because of what Jesus has done for us on the cross, which is what we remember this morning, when God looks at us, he sees perfection. And because of that, we can be empowered to approach our relationships, not valuing people's opinion but veiling the opinion of God. And that empowers us in moments where we fail to confess our failure before people, to confess that, yes, I made that promise, but I cannot 
um, fulfill uh, that promise. You see, when we trust the opinions of others, and this has happened so much in human uh, relationships, especially in South Africa, uh, times are tough economic, economically, so your friend, or you say to somebody, this is the promise, give me 2,000 rand, and this is how you destroy a relationship, by the way. <laughs> give me 2,000 rand. When, I will, when will I pay you? At the end of the month. At the end of the month. And then comes the end of the month, you realize that I don't have that money. Now, what normally happens in those relationships? The person who um, got the money tries to hide and get their way out of fulfilling on their promise. But if you trust God's opinion over your life, you will step towards people and say, times are tough. I, I know I had promised you that month end I will pay you back, but I just cannot fulfill on those promises. The gospel empowers us uh, to be people of our word because we don't have to say yes when you don't need to. We don't have to say no when you don't need to. We are secure in God to say yes or no. But not only that, when we fail, we are secure enough to step towards our fellow humans and say that I blew it. And I think this uh, is at the heart of a flourishing society. If we were to be people who trusted what God says of us more and more, society will thrive because we will be better at relating um, to one another. We'll be better at keeping our word uh, because we trust uh, or rather value God's opinion of us over and above uh, other people's opinion. Now, many of us sit here, some of us are hurt uh, because people broke their promise. Or perhaps that's you uh, that needed to realize that maybe I'm a people pleaser. I need to apply the gospel in my life. Uh, maybe you are sitting here and the promise, a deep and intimate promise was broken. Uh, you know that promise that we make, with my body I honor you. All that I am I share with you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, we swear by the heavens that we will keep that vow. And perhaps that vow was broken. The gospel empowers us to reconcile in those situations. Perhaps you've lied to somebody uh, and you haven't told the truth. Well, this morning we are reminded that the gospel frees you to go and mend that relationship. And to say, yes, man, I tried to wiggle my way out of what I said I'll do. Can you forgive me? Uh, we can only do that when we recognize that God has done that for us. God has forgiven us in Christ. God has empowered us, and his opinions matter for us. Uh, because we will fail. We will fail to live up to God's law. But when we do so, let us be reminded that his opinion of us matters more than the opinions of other people. Uh, may God empower us to go out into this week and to live out this word and to be people of integrity and to be people who confess when we have failed um, to live up to our words. Let me pray for us that God would do that. Father, we thank you so much for your gospel. We thank you for the gospel of the kingdom. Uh, 
We thank you that it empowers us to do the things that you call us to do. Thank you that you are a God who keeps his word. You are a God who keeps his promises. Um, And so, Lord, I pray that you would empower us to be people who keep their promises. As Matthew says, that we ought to be perfect as you are perfect. You ought to be complete as you are complete. I pray that we would realize that we cannot do it on our own, uh, that we need you to make us less... um, less um, invested in what people think of us, but more invested in your verdict on our lives. And so, Lord, we pray that you, the God of who keeps his promises, would empower us to keep our promises. We pray that uh, there would be repentance. We pray that there would be uh, growth in our lives as uh, disciples. Uh, I pray that um, the gap between what we say and what we do we shrink more and more, and that we'll be salt and light in our office space, to our children, in our relationships, um, in our marriages, wherever we are, Lord, uh, that Midrand and the rest of Jobek would see and taste the goodness of your kingdom breaking in, in the simple yeses and noes that we make as Christians, even in this coming week. This we pray in your name and for our good. Amen.